Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge. And as always, joined by my lovely co-host, Shelly. Shelly, you look gorgeous today, but you look gorgeous every week. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. I'm in a given mood. I'm going to keep that little sound clip on repeat. Thank you so much. I am generally a pretty happy person. Things are going very well. Serge, and you do look handsome as well. I love the little bit of gray that you have going on just on the side. And you've let the goatee go back yeah, to Yeah, it's, it's all going fully gray. And actually contemplating last night using the just for men again. But I'll hold <laughs> off, right? Let's not waste any time here. As part of our practitioner series, someone that I have known for quite a few years, probably 10 years plus, our guest today is going to talk about the real life of what it's like being in talent acquisition in 2022. So I'm very pleased to introduce our guest today, Brad McMorris. He is the Senior Talent Acquisition Specialist at Clone Crippen Burger. Welcome to the show, Brad. I was coming on, guys. Thinking, oh, I got to have that energy of surge when he jumps on with his welcoming line. I always jump to it listening to your show. Brad, it's been a listener of the show for a really long time. So, first of all, thank you so much for listening. And hopefully, we've provided some value for you and your job. Yes. Absolutely. And thank uh... you for volunteering to come on the show. Let's start with all about you. Let's make this the Brad moment. Tell us a little bit about who you are. And then talk a little bit about how you got your start in talent acquisition. Well, outside work, I can appreciate some of Serge's stories because I have twin boys at home that are 10 and keep us going. Like almost all of the people you have spoken to on the show that I've heard in past episodes, I fell into recruitment. Mm -hmm. Moved here 20 plus years ago from Winnipeg. I was building houses and working at Earl's part-time working at Earl's over a lunch shift one day because I was recovering from trying to learn how to snowboard. And I ended up serving the owner of a staffing agency. And somewhere in the process of doing that, she said, I think you'd be great working for us. And would you come interview? And I went and interviewed. I was young and a little cocky at the time. And I remember in the interview, they asked, what do you know about the staffing business? And I said, honestly, nothing. I thought it was for people that couldn't find their own jobs. Clearly, I didn't care how much I got the job, but they took a chance on me. And 20 years later, I've made this industry my career and obviously learned a ton and know that it's so much more than what my first thought was with no experience. And it's been great ever since. Let's go through a little bit of that progression. You started in staffing and now you're in a corporate environment. So how did that progression happen from staffing to where you're at now? Yeah, I worked for a couple staffing agencies first, one locally owned, and then I worked for a large U.S. publicly traded one. And obviously, there's lots of sales metrics and it's a different environment. I ended up, one of my clients asked me if I'd be interested in exploring things in-house. Working for an agency, you always have that, or I always had the thought of, wonder what it's like to continuing to work with your candidates and building more of a relationship with them that way. And so I took that opportunity and found that it's really fit. I like being in-house. I think if you're 100% money driven, there's more money to be made on the agency side. 
but it's a different environment. What do you think is the biggest difference? So I'm a recruiter. I'm trying to decide is staffing the way I want to go or is in-house? What should they think about or consider before they make that move or apply for whatever sector of recruitment they want to go in? How salesy they are. Are they comfortable with the large commission or not? What's their motivator? I find talking to people that have transitioned from agency to in-house, the agency people think that in-house are putting them off and we're not. We're waiting on other people. Mm. And they also are surprised at how much time is eaten up from extra internal process items rather than just recruiting. In agency, you recruit in-house, that percentage of time on the phone dips significantly. Yeah, there's a missed opportunity there. So right now you've been in corporate for 10 years, I would say, a little bit longer. Oh, probably more than that, probably 15. So right now in your current role, when you came into the company, how did you set up your recruitment team? What are the process, the systems, technology that you leverage that this is where my team needs to be at? We are remote as recruiters for the company I work for. And I think leading people in that space is different. You have to put more effort into being a good people manager. My team is based in Calgary. So we meet once a week for a coffee to have our in-person meetings to help with that. What do I do to set them up and set up our processes? Asking other recruiters and asking them for their input is great. Everyone comes with their own experiences and why not pull from that? I'm always focused on monitoring workload to help an employee maintain their happiness. I'm always asked about how many recs can you handle when you're in an interview as a recruiter? To me, that's a business decision. I can handle six if I'm sourcing and handling everything and you really want hard to find people. Or if you only want one recruiter that's filling 200 jobs, then the level of service is going to follow that. But monitoring that workload for them and then also educating your team, making sure they are up to date through listening to podcasts like yours or others and sitting in on webinars from the big HR consultancies things to keep them engaged. You mean there's other HR podcasts? Only those that you recommend. (laughs) I couldn't resist. Monitoring workload is something that I've always had a challenge being a TA leader and trying to figure out how many requisitions each recruiter would have. Is there a guideline that you leverage at your company? Okay, it's 10, it's 20, or it's based on what's recruiting. How do you determine that? I'm in a project-based environment, working in engineering consulting. It's 100% project-based, so it's really hard to keep it level. But uh, year 20, to me, I think offers that good level of customer service to candidates. It allows you time to source and prospect and to get back to everybody while having to do the other things. In-house, we're drafting the offer letters, we're kicking off references, those other elements that are part of the job too. I wanted to have you talk a little bit more about Brad, because you talked about the fact that you were working as a waiter, somebody saw something in you, and then you also referenced the fact that success in the staffing industry is sales. In your experience, whether you're hiring recruiters for your team or looking for someone to join, what previous experience for the people you've hired translates best into success as a recruiter? I know you talked about this. I had to go back to your podcast. I think it was March 24th episode. You (laughs) talked about this because I remember hearing it. And I agree the salesmanship focus is important. 
like having a track record of being busy. When the person was going to school, were they involved in high-level athletics or arts or sitting on student councils, doing more than just school? It teaches you how to multitask. You have to be observant and have that customer service focused. Uh, intrinsically motivated. Our process is repetitive a lot of times, how you're sourcing and what you're doing and asking a lot of the same questions over and over to other candidates. But having that intrinsic value and drive is something that's important too. Obviously, good listener and respectfulness. They have to display a level of respectfulness in order to get candidates to open up. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand then on, I think, the greatest arm wrestle of our profession is people believing if I've got an HR degree, the first thing I should do is be a recruiter. Tell me where you stand on that subject. There's no doubt it's been viewed like that in the past. Last person I hired that uh, is working out has a marketing degree. It's beneficial to have someone that thinks more like a marketing person than an HR. We're externally focused rather than risk reduction, which is typical of HR. I think anything that is taught confidence. I like sports. So if I see on a resume of 14, 15 year old was out refing sports, they have to learn how to make quick decisions. They have to be judgmental, which we have to rule candidates in and out very quickly. They have to stand up to authority. We typically work with directors, VP, all the managers in the organization. So they're learning how to stand up to coaches or crowds. And they're confident they might make a bad decision, but they have to move on. We get grilled for feedback sometimes if a candidate doesn't work out or interviews poorly. And you have to have the confidence and move forward mindfulness to say, you know what? Okay, I learned what I learned and just move past it. Perfect. I'm always very curious on what technology each company uses and how recruiters leverage their tech stack. First of all, which ATS do you currently use? I was hoping you wouldn't ask me this one. I'm struggling to lie. We are transitioning to an HRIS. We're moving away from Taleo and into Ceridian. Okay. And it's not a recruitment platform. It is an HRIS. We go live here in a couple of weeks and I put in my plea to the powers that be internally here and said, as soon as we have the budget to look for a true ATS, we need to consider it. Well, so, at least it's not Taleo. That's really yeah, good news, Yeah, the right? best part of that statement was you're moving away from Taleo. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, you just can tell that the ATS is sometimes the afterthought in the HRIS systems, as yeah. folks are well aware. The biggest one with this one that stood out to me was under candidate information, they still had pager as an option. Pager <laughs> oh, <number>. no. <laughs> come so. on, come on, or fax number. Yeah, oh. both. Yeah, I'm so sorry. My sympathies go out to you, Brad. Please tell me one thing, because I've not even looked at what sort of ATS Ceridian would offer. Do they make candidates register before they apply? Yes. Ouch. You know what? I think you have the right approach. Get the system and then build a case for an ATS that's very focused and Mm -hmm. the AB comparison on it will be pretty dramatic. Anything else you guys use as far as reaching out to candidates? What is in your tech stack outside of your ATS? Yeah, right now we are, it's that, it's LinkedIn, it's some paid campaigns on Indeed doing those two items. Reach out a lot through universities. We're in a technical space, so it's specific engineering programs and do 
a lot at that co-op level. Leveraging our own staff, it's engineering consulting. Again, they go to a lot of conferences to present our company. We do have probably a higher employee referral base than some other organizations. How do you separate when you're going to leverage candidates coming in inbound to your sourcing, you're using outbound tools? Where's the mix for you? Obviously, the last year, it's been a lot more outbound and sourcing. We've been doing a lot on LinkedIn and pushing for referrals and pushing for new grads through school. But the drop-off, even at the new grad level, has been huge. We posted a junior position at Simon Fraser recently, and we got one application. It's just so different than what it once was, having been Mm. in the industry long enough to see them turn back and forth. So we're doing a lot more external and reaching out. We're sourcing. It's, It's direct. What works when it comes to sourcing? Is there any particular strategy that you're leveraging outside of in-mails or is it mostly all in-mails with different testing a message? How do you approach sourcing to at least get candidates to respond to you? In-mails a lot. I can't hide that fact. But yeah. you got to be strategic in your emails and make it personal for sure. And reach out politely. There's a lot of traction there on following the different industry professionals and seeing who's commenting and who's following. Those that are active on LinkedIn tend to make good consultants because they understand business development, but also are more engaged. So if you could get any technology to help your recruitment team, what would you prioritize? What would it be? I'd go to a good ATS. One that offers texting is critical. One that you don't lose the information when the candidate responds. As in lots of times people respond and that information, even though you sent it out through your ATS, goes into your Outlook email and is lost from the candidate's information. That would be a couple of my high priorities, especially the texting side. People just don't answer their phone anymore. And email is hit and miss now too. You need that. Well, I think the data is emails is 24 to 48 hour responses and, and the percentage is below 50%. The text messaging, it's 97% response in 10 minutes. So you're absolutely right. Shelly, when's the last time you picked a call up that wasn't me? <laughs> I don't answer. If, exactly. if I don't know who it is, I don't answer. Robocalls has killed us all. Seriously, nobody picks up their phone. But even more so when you're in a very competitive industry, candidates have lots of choice, right? Mm. Do you have a role in building the employer brand, Brad? We're definitely the ones out there that are sharing it the most. And as talent acquisition, we're hands-on and talk to all our competitors. We gain information constantly. Sharing that information with the powers that be internally, you help build your employer brand by saying, This is how we differentiate. That's something we should maybe add to our benefits or our total package. We do. So I'm going to bring us back and talk more about the success of building an internal talent acquisition team. Just share with us your perspective on why you think talent acquisition is or is not a stepping stone into HR. Have you had that experience? I've had it from former team members in the past, some that have moved on to HR and some that have clearly said they want to stay here. It doesn't have to be a stepping stone anymore. We've got a growing career path in talent acquisition that will help keep people. We're building more disciplines within the talent acquisition brand. So it 
doesn't have to be just your recruiter for the next 30 years and live off that intrinsic motivation. You get such a level of respect when you are a good recruiter, being that ear to the ground for our competitors and bringing that to the business leaders. That drives a lot of recognition for talent acquisition. You get to share salaries, you get to share restructures, you get to share who's going remote and who's forcing people back in these current times. Having that ear of the leadership is nice for people in talent acquisition. The flip side, I finished my MBA with a major in HR a couple of years ago, and it stood out to me at the time where all my HR classes talked about earning a seat at the table. No other class, didn't matter, marketing, finance, operations, management. None of them talked about earning a seat at the table where HR, that's still in the psyche. And I've heard it in many meetings throughout my career. Obviously, HR has come a long way and there's people that are really good and have the ear of the business for sure. Those that can't pitch their ideas or always reactive rather than being on the forefront probably struggle a bit more. And on talent acquisition, you're on the forefront. We're not looking backwards for salary surveys. We're getting in real time. So true. I mean, I I even look at the trend over the years of moving from an HR advisor to an HR business partner. Those that did make that transition to truly understand the business, how do we make money and what does HR need to do to support the business? Yet when you broke it down, into what were they actually doing, the business partner role was much closer to talent acquisition. What I mean by that is talent acquisition needs to understand how we make money, where are we going as a business, what tools and technology do we give people? Like this is part of our attraction strategy. And so what's interesting is the business partner role I found over time, although they love that title, what they were really doing was risk mitigation or risk reduction. When somebody was behaving badly, document, 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 right? That's what a business partner does. The weak managers, they're covering your ass. Because (laughs) if you're not a really good leader, and you're saying stupid shit to employees that are just going to get us all in a big lawsuit, that's what an HR advisor is there for. So it was interesting, Brad, that you bring that up. Because I think that was HR's attempt to say, oh, no, we really do understand the business. Yeah, the business of keeping us out of jail, maybe, but... Yeah. (laughs) HR will never have a seat at the table. This is our opportunity as talent acquisition to have that seat. If you look at CEOs and executives right now, they hold talent acquisition at a higher esteem than they do HR. And the main reason is actionable data and us being business people, not HR people, which is different because you mentioned marketing never has a discussion supply chain because they all consider themselves business people, which is a big flaw in the HR side. I don't see that changing. I see talent acquisition becoming more and more prominent, meaning that we're going to see a lot more CHROs, a lot more VPs of HR come from the talent acquisition ranks because they are way more focused in the business. But moving into that, there's been tons of change since 2019 to now taking all of that in consideration and looking at what's coming beyond like 2023, 24. Do you think there's a major HR talent acquisition disruption coming? Yes, I would think in the near term, I don't know if I can answer that with just one answer, but I think talent acquisition, we're going to continue to see 
evolution with more specialties. We're going to see those that become sourcers, those that are maybe SEO and, and real tech experts. And maybe the larger organizations are going to have a full-time videographer that are going around and creating stories for the brand. In the near future here on the HR side, learning and development is going to be big with the gap in what we can fill with how long it takes to get a full degree and the opportunities for online learning. Learning and development is probably going to see some significant investment over the next couple of years. You know, the most interesting thing I've read recently, Gallup poll came out not long ago that support for unions is at a level in the U.S. over 70%, where it was in the 40s to 60s. And with quiet quitting, with the baby boomers that can't afford to retire, with the difference in salary between senior executives to the common worker B, you're seeing unions, some brought in at Amazon, Apple retail, Starbucks. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a repeat of history and have some more unions pop up or gain more strength. You know, that's one we haven't heard, the resurgence of labor unions. And that data is very intriguing, 70%, which, because yeah. obviously my parents, they were in a union their whole career. I've never even considered a union, but I can see <laughs> with how the workforce is set up. And to your point, there's such a large disconnect between the executives and the worker be that, yeah, there's going to be an uprising. We're seeing some uprising by people quitting their jobs without another job or quite quitting or whatever the case is. Really interesting info. We really like to see what the day in the life of a recruiter, what it looks like. Really appreciate your insights, Brad. If anyone listening wants to get a hold of you, get more details, just connect with you, what's the easiest way for them to do that? You know, Mick Morris is a really uncommon last name. So I'm easy to find. It's just Brad McMorris on LinkedIn. MC for everyone, not MAC. Correct. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. And thank you so much for listening and being part of this with us. Thanks for teaching me so many things and allowing me to forward information to my team because there's been lots of good information covered on your shows. So thanks. Thanks, Brad. We'll be in touch. Talk soon. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.